Hi, welcome to the New Story Church podcast. We hope that this week's message encourages you and brings you closer to Jesus. We are starting a brand new series today, a three-week series called Do You Trust Me? And we're talking about the concept and the idea of trust because trust is actually a super important part of not only our human relationships, but also our relationship with God. In fact, trust is necessary for us to have healthy human relationships and a healthy relationship with God. So we are doing three weeks on this idea and this concept of trust. And for those of you who might be wondering, or big Disney fans, the answer is yes. I took the title for this series from the movie Aladdin. For those of you who remember when Aladdin first looks at Jasmine and says, do you trust me? And then later on in the movie, he's, he's on the carpet and he says, do you trust me? Which is really kind of strange to think about because he was lying to her about who he was. Uh, he, he, was he, he was not being honest and forthright, but he was more so concerned about getting her onto this carpet and singing a beautiful song with her and all of those things. But do you trust me? Trust is a part of our relationships that is necessary. We need to have trust if we are gonna grow with other people. And today we're gonna talk about the idea of what it means for us to become people who are trustworthy. What does it mean for you to become somebody who is worthy of another person's trust? And this is one of those areas where I'm gonna ask us all to be a little bit self-reflective today. Because if if, if we're really gonna think about this idea, a lot of us, would probably say that we identify as trustworthy individuals. We'd probably be like, yeah, I'm a trustworthy person. But then if I were to survey the room, we also would all probably say that it's really difficult to find trustworthy people. So there's a little bit of a tension there. There's a little bit of a contradiction there. We probably all identify as trustworthy, but then we would all agree that it's hard to find trustworthy people. I'm not gonna actually survey the room today, but I want us to really think about this. Ask yourself, am I a trustworthy person? Or in what ways could I grow into better becoming a trustworthy person? Because the search for finding people who are trustworthy has been going on for quite some time. In fact, Solomon wrote this in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6. He wrote, many a man proclaims his own loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy man? Who can find a trustworthy man? Who can find a trustworthy woman? Who can find a trustworthy person? To find somebody who is worthy of your trust can be hard. It can be difficult. And to become someone who is trustworthy, that's a noble cause. That's a noble thing to pursue. But when we really break this idea apart, becoming trustworthy, we we have to admit that there are even phrases that we use in our sentences or in our language or in our conversations that imply that we are not always trustworthy people. For example, let me, let, me give, let me give you an example. I know that a lot of times when I'm in a conversation, before I make a statement, I'll say this. I'll say, I'm not gonna lie. I'll say that before I make a statement. Have, have you said this before? I, I, I say about the dumbest things, like, I'm not gonna lie, but I think the Utah Jazz could win the entire NBA Finals this year. <laughs> I, I'm not gonna lie, I think it could happen. I'm not saying it will happen, but I think that it could happen, I'm not gonna lie. Am I normally lying? Like, why do I have to clarify that I'm not going to lie about this? Or another one that's maybe more popular that people say sometimes. Sometimes some people say, to be honest, before they make a statement. Have you found yourself doing this before? Sometimes you say this to make a little bit of an extra emphasis. You say, to be honest, here's how I feel. To be honest, the new Bo Burnham special is fantastic. For those of you who know what I'm talking about. (laughs) To be honest, and, and we even type it out, TBH. TBH, TBH, are we normally not honest? 
Why do we need to clarify with people when we are going to be honest? Is there an implication there that the majority of the things that we say are not honest? Probably not. We just say it for emphasis. But you get where I'm going. Why do we need to clarify before we say, oh, I'm going to be honest or I'm not going to lie? Are we implying that sometimes we do all have a difficulty with being trustworthy and being people who can be entrusted with information, being people who can be entrusted with other people's stories or secrets? This is an area where we all could probably grow just a little bit. So the title of today's message is this, Becoming Trustworthy. How can we become trustworthy? If you're taking notes, you can write that becoming trustworthy or type it in the chat. And before I really jump into the, the message and the essence and the ethos of what it means for us to be people who are trustworthy, I, I want to give a little bit of a, and you know what? I'm probably going to end up saying to be honest later on in this message without, without even knowing that I'm saying it because it's just such a part of my language. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to contradict myself. So just be patient with me, please. But anyways, back to the message. So I'm going to give you like a pre-message before the message. Because in the message, we're going to look at the ethos or the characteristics of a person who is trustworthy. And we're going to look at that by looking at a guy by the name of Barnabas. But before we jump into that, I want to say, say something that should be beyond obvious, but just in case it is not obvious, I need to make sure that I say this. A trustworthy person, here, here it is, the, the message before the message, a trustworthy person keeps their mouth shut. A trustworthy person minds their own business. Now, this is something that I struggle with. I have diarrhea of the mouth. I love information, but look at what Proverbs eleven thirteen says. A gossip goes around telling secrets, but those who are trustworthy can keep a confidence. Just last week, I had a friend reach out to me. He said, Scott, I have to tell you something. It's a secret. I was like, okay. When he told me this information, I said to myself, that is information that should not be a secret. That is not worthy of being a secret. This is not secretive information. So I ran into a mutual friend of ours, and I'm not going to use any names here because I shouldn't have shared this information. And I said to the mutual friend, I said, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? He told me this. And he said, no, he's never told me that before. How dare he not tell me that information? And I just leaked the information. I, with me, you have to tell me three times, don't repeat this, and make me feel like I'm, I'm in danger of death if I repeat it. Because I, 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 once again, this is an area where I need improvement. But a trustworthy person doesn't go around gossiping and sharing and telling information. And I thought, oh, it, you know, this isn't worthy of a secret. I'll just share it with this other friend. We don't get to determine whether something is worthy of being a secret or not. If somebody asks us to keep confidence and we want to be trustworthy people, we will mind our own business and keep our mouth shut. The only time that I won't do that is if somebody comes and tells me that they committed a crime. Hey, Scott, I got I to, you know, I need you to keep a secret. I just killed somebody. I'm sorry. I can't keep that secret. Somebody needs to know about this. You killed somebody. I need to tell, that's never happened before, by the way. But, but if that were to happen, I can't keep that secret. But we need to do a better job. It, it, but it feels, it feels so good to get information, right? It feels so good to get information. What is it about information? It almost makes us feel as if we're smart, I'm going to be the first one to tell anybody this. I, 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 you didn't solve any problems. You just know something before somebody else does. It doesn't make you smarter, but it almost it gives you an edge in the conversation. It makes you feel good. And, but a trustworthy person 
keeps a confidence. So that's the message before the message. A trustworthy person keeps their mouth shut. A trustworthy person grows in keeping a confidence. So I want us now to jump over to Acts chapter 9. And in Acts chapter 9, we've been in this passage before. And what happens in Acts chapter 9 is there's this guy by the name of Paul. He was identified also as Saul. And Paul was persecuting and killing people within the movement of the church. He was actually trying to stop the the way of Jesus from growing. He was trying to stop. He had enough of it. And then he's on the road to Damascus, and he encounters Jesus. And Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And so he ends up giving his life to Christ and becomes a Christ follower. And he wrote almost half of what we have today as the New Testament. And on this, on this road to Damascus, he's converted to Christ. And then he goes into Damascus and he's, he's sharing Jesus with people. And at first people are a little bit suspicious of him. But then they realize this guy's for real. This guy's legit. And he, he makes some friends. But then in Damascus, the religious leaders who he was formerly affiliated with, they said to themselves, this is not good. We got to stop Paul. This is not good. We have to stop him. So some other believers, they sneak Paul out of Damascus and Paul ends up in Jerusalem. And when he gets to Jerusalem, the believers there, they knew of his past and they were thinking, I don't know if we should trust this guy. Look at this in Acts chapter nine, verse 26 says, when he, Paul, came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him not believing that he was a disciple. And reasonably so. He had been a part of a movement of people that was trying to kill those who were affiliated with Christ. And so now he gets to Jerusalem. He's like, hey guys, I'm good. I'm good now. They were probably thinking, is this guy trying to come up with some, you know, sneaky plan to infiltrate this movement and take over from the inside out? They were suspicious. But then comes a guy by the name of Barnabas. And Barnabas befriends Paul And he begins to to lead Paul along, and he begins to get to know Paul. And what's compelling in this story is oftentimes what we look at is how Barnabas trusted Paul. But today I want us to flip it a little bit and see what was it about Barnabas that made Paul say, this guy is trustworthy. He's not trying to trick me. This guy is worthy of my trust. And in looking at some aspects from the life of Barnabas, from the characteristics of Barnabas, when he brought Paul into the church, I want us to identify of what it means for us to become people who are trustworthy. The first thing that we see from Barnabas is this, aspects of a trustworthy person, is a trustworthy person is willing to catch some criticism. A trustworthy person is willing to catch some criticism on behalf of another person. A trustworthy person is going to say, I will risk my reputation for the sake of another individual. If you ever find yourself in a spot where, where you're affiliated with somebody, and then all of a sudden you go to another group who does not like that person or like that group that you're affiliated with, and then you just find yourself kind of meshing with that group or then talking poorly about that person, you may have to say, am I really a trustworthy person? We've all probably done this before, where we were really close with somebody, but then we find ourselves in a group and they're all, you know, saying negative things about this person. And maybe we don't even necessarily agree, but we just passively go along with it. But a trustworthy person will risk their reputation and catch some criticism for the sake of another person, even when they're misunderstood even when other people might give them pushback. If as soon as somebody gives you pushback for affiliating with another person, you just say, I'm bailing, I'm out, I'm done with that person, 
you may have some steps to take in becoming a trustworthy person. And so here's what we see with Barnabas in Acts 9.27. But Barnabas took hold of Paul. He took hold of him and brought him to the apostles. Now, we don't see here that Barnabas directly received any criticism. So I have to admit here that I am imagining here for a moment. It doesn't say this directly in the text. But when, but when we look at Acts 9.26 and we see that the disciples were suspicious and they were keeping a distance from Paul and then Barnabas draws close, I can only imagine what some of the disciples must have thought in that moment. I can only imagine some of the criticism that Barnabas maybe would have received in that moment. Maybe it was something as simple as dirty looks. And I know that the early church was supposed to be this holy, wonderful, righteous movement, but there were people in it as well, just like there are people in this church today. And we as people can all be a little bit judgmental sometimes. And I'm sure that there were some people who were thinking to themselves, why would Barnabas hang out with Paul? Some people might have even thought, Barnabas, he's just so naive. What is he doing affiliating with Paul? Some people may have even went as far to criticize him and thinking to themselves, oh my goodness, there it is, another Judas betraying our movement for something else. If you aren't familiar with who Judas is, he's the one who betrayed Jesus. They could have thought that or assumed that. Why would he affiliate with Paul? A person who is trustworthy is willing to take that step of faith and risk their reputation for another person, even amongst pushback, even when the cultural narrative of the time says you should not associate with them. And Barnabas was willing to do that for Paul. It reminds me of a, of a great sports movie. Some of you might like this movie. Remember the Titans? Anybody remember that movie? Yeah, with Denzel Washington. And in this movie, it, it's tracking a school, T.C. Williams High School in Northern Virginia in 1971. And in this movie, that what we see in 1971 at this high school is it becomes an integrated school with white players and black players. And, and white students and black students. And there's a lot of racial tension in this movie. And, and, there, and there's a lot of, you know, we can't get along with them. We don't like them. And Denzel Washington plays a character, Coach Boone, who's made the coach of the team. And they're like, we don't, we don't you know, he, he can't be our coach. And so there's a lot of pushback with that in the movie. But then there's this, there's this magical moment in the movie. And of course it's a magical moment because it's a Disney movie. And the Disney movie always has to have the magical moment with the music playing and everybody starts to smile. And what happens in this moment is the defense comes together in practice and they finally execute on a play and there's a little bit of yelling and scolding and everything. And the leader of the white players, Bert Tier, he comes up to one of the players by the name of Julius. If you've seen the movie, you remember this. And Julius is the leader of, of, the, of the black students and the black group of players. And, and Bert Tier shoves Julius and he says, left side. And in the moment, Julius looks stunned. He looks shocked and he's wondering, is he like bonding with me right now or is he getting ready to fight me? I'm sure he's wondering, or is he, is he trying to make fun of me? You can see the, the shock in his face in that moment. And then when he looks at Bertier and realizes that Bertier is serious, he shoves him back and goes, strong side. And then they do the whole football thing where they're like, left side, strong side. And they go back and forth and the music starts playing and the coaches start smiling. You know, this is the turning point of the movie. And they come together and they start to bring the, the team together. And people in the community start to come together. And where there was once tension and division, there is now unity amongst this team and in this community. But guess what? After they had that moment and they started to build that trust with one another, they had to be willing to catch some criticism. 
There were some people who still looked at them and said, you guys aren't doing this right. There were some people who were still advocating for division within, within the movie with, and within the team. And, but they still moved forward because if you were going to be a trustworthy person and you want to build trust with another person, if you want to build trust with another group of individuals, you have to be willing to expand your perspective. You have to be willing to break expectations, which means that there will be times when you catch some criticism for those that you associate with but you're saying, I'm believing in them. I'm going to walk with them. I will risk my reputation. That's what we see in the movie. What, what Julius perceived to be a shove of aggression at first was actually a shove of affection. And they brought, and because they had trust with one another, that began to build trust within the team. A trustworthy person will build a culture and a community of trust around them. And we have to start asking ourselves, who have I been showing aggression to that God has now been calling me to show affection to? What, what groups or narratives have I given into that I need to be distant and have aggression, but God is saying, no, I've placed them in your life to extend affection. That's what we see within them. And then what's so cool about this is we see this happen later on in Paul's life as well. There's this little book in the New Testament. It's one of my favorite books in all the scriptures. It's called Philemon. It's this little, little tiny book. And what happened was, we believe, is that Paul at one point in time led Philemon to Christ. And then sometime down the road, Philemon uh, had a runaway slave by the name of Onesimus. And Onesimus encounters Paul. And Paul leads Onesimus to Christ. And then Paul writes a letter on Onesimus' behalf and says, you need to go back to Philemon and make things right. But I'm writing the letter on your behalf. Just take this to him. And Onesimus takes this letter to Philemon. And look at what Paul writes in the letter. He said to Philemon, if then you regard me a partner, accept him, Onesimus, as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. What was the expectation of the time? The expectation of the time was that Philemon should punish Onesimus if he returned. He should, he should maybe even up to the point of death punish him. But Paul said, no. Because you trust me, Philemon, and you believe me to be a trustworthy person, and I believe you to be a trustworthy person, I'm asking you to now trust Onesimus and that you would then take on his debt on my behalf. You might receive some criticism, Philemon. Other people around you might say, you shouldn't be doing this, Philemon, but you know what? If he owes you anything, charge it to my account. And he's saying, we are going to, we are going to build a bridge, as we're going to talk about in a minute. There's going to be healing and there will now be restoration because trustworthy people build a culture of trust. And I know that some of you might be thinking right now, oh, I would like to be trustworthy. I would like to have trusting friendships and relationships, but I've been burned far too many times. Far too often I've tried to be a trustworthy person and it just hasn't worked out for me. So I've had enough. I've had enough of trying to be trustworthy. I've had enough trying to be trustworthy trying to trust others because it just hurts too much. I can't take it anymore. I get it. I have had many friendships and relationships. I'm not going to talk about them up here because that wouldn't be appropriate. Where I felt there was a trusting friendship there or a trusting relationship. And then all of a sudden, it seemed like it changed overnight. And where I had maybe caught some criticism for another person, it felt as if they had maybe turned their back on me or did not, no longer wanted to be associated with me. And in those moments when trust is broken, 
it does, in a sense, make you want to give up. It makes you think, I'm just going to worry about me. I'm just going to isolate. But when we make the conscious decision to isolate and to draw away from people and no longer trust, what we are declaring is this, the only person I believe in is me. The only person I believe in is myself. I'm the only one who can get it right. And what you're also saying is not only am I not going to trust others, I don't think others should trust me because I'm isolating from others. When we choose to isolate, we choose to stop fighting for humanity. We choose to stop fighting for the kingdom of God. We are meant and designed to be connected to others, to give second chances, to extend redemption, to extend forgiveness, even in the most difficult of moments, and to become trustworthy people who catch criticism for others, even in the face of feeling so rejected and feeling so hurt and so broken. We have to continue to fight for humanity because Christ has placed us here to fight for humanity. And then, secondly, a trustworthy person will build a bridge. Trustworthy person will build a bridge. It's much easier to gossip about other people. It's much easier to complain about other people. But a trustworthy person, once they've caught some criticism and walked with a person, they then will also defend a person, speak up for a person, and build a bridge even in the face of opposition even in the face of being misunderstood. Look at what Barnabas did in Acts 9, 27. It says that Barnabas described to the apostles, he described to them how Paul had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. He went before the, apostles, he went before the disciples, this group of people who had rejected Paul, and he said, no, I know this guy. I'm going to build a bridge. I am going to defend him. I, I, he displayed that he was a trustworthy person by being willing to speak up for Paul, even against popular opinion. And sometimes I think that we deceive ourselves in thinking, oh, I defend people because I defend a position. But defending a position is not the same as defending a person. If Barnabas would have chose to defend his position, then he would have just went to the apostles and said, hey, you know, here's the deal. Uh, you know, I just wanted to show forgiveness. I just wanted to show forgiveness because Jesus showed me forgiveness. So I was just, I was just doing what Christ, you know, told me to do, which is not a bad thing to do. But that would have just been defending his position, which would have been looking out for himself. You know, here's why I made this decision. If he would have just defended his position and not said anything about Paul, then he would have left Paul out to dry. And that's what a lot of us do. We love to defend our positions. That's what social media encourages. Let everybody know your position on this. Let everybody know your position on that. But a lot of times when you're just letting people know your position, what you're doing is you're just trying to do something so that people can clap hands for you and say, oh, you're doing such a great job. You're so wonderful. Thank you for sticking up for that position. You're, you're wonderful. Woo, 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 good for you. But to defend a person, to get into the messy relationship of defending a person, is to say, I am going to speak up on behalf of an individual. I am going to build a bridge. I am going to defend them, even if I will run the risk of them betraying me, 
And it's not for my glory. It's for God's glory. And so this person can grow. I am going to invest in them in such, in such a powerful way that I don't know what's going to happen. I could get hurt at the end of this thing. I'm not only going to risk my reputation. I am going to risk my emotions. I'm going to risk my mental state for the, for the sake of this person. And I don't know how it's going to end. But since Jesus built a bridge for me, I am going to build a bridge for others. And I'm not only going to defend a position. I am willing to defend a person, even when it's difficult, even when it doesn't make sense. To, the, the, we can all defend a position and justify why we did something, but to defend a person, that's an extra step of faith. And that's what Barnabas was willing to do for Paul. Here, here's what else I love about this is, I was, I was thinking, what all could have happened in this story? I like to do that sometimes. What all could have happened? And my mind went to kind of a dark place for a moment. So just follow me. If Barnabas wanted to, he could have took Paul and said, hey, let, let me tell you something. He could have took him to a private place. And if he wanted to, he probably could have decided to kill Paul. We don't know much, we don't know much about Barnabas's physical stature, but we do know that, that Paul was probably uh, potentially a little bit crippled. Now that could have happened later on from his beatings, but he, he, he wasn't, Paul was not necessarily, you know, you know, he wasn't Mr. Physique or anything like that. So Barnabas could have taken him away. He could have killed Paul and then came out and told all the, all the disciples or all the followers of Jesus, hey, guess what? Here's what happened. I was trying to help Paul out. He tried to kill me because he hasn't really changed, and so I killed him. And then he would have been known as the guy who killed Paul. He would have been known as the guy who took out the guy that was trying to stop the church. Barnabas could have easily been deceitful and done that. And he would have then had a great title. Look at Barnabas, the guy who took out Paul. What a hero. And he would have had that title. But a person who is trustworthy, this is not on the screen, but you should write this down. A person who is trustworthy will never trade integrity for a title. A person who is trustworthy will never trade their integrity for a title. They will never say, I am going to trade in my integrity just so that I can be noticed. We see this similar thing happen in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, the nation of Israel. We want a king, we want a king, we want a king. They got Saul, not a very good king. Not very good. And he became obsessed with killing David. Because these people were, were going around singing this song. They were saying, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has tens of thousands. And then dancing in the streets. And, they, and Saul's like, how could they do this? He was so upset. He was so upset. Why would they celebrate David and not me? Why would they do that? And, and so he, just, he became determined to kill David. He said, I'm going to kill David. And then he came to his son, Jonathan. Jonathan was really close to David. He was loyal to David. And in 1 Samuel chapter 20... Saul said, Saul said to Jonathan, hey, if David continues to live, you will never be king or have a kingdom. That's what Saul says to Jonathan in 1 Samuel chapter 20. He says, if, if David continues to live, if the son of Jesse lives, you will never be king or have a kingdom. But you know what Jonathan did? He didn't give in to that offer. He didn't betray David to his father. He didn't, he didn't trade his integrity for a title. A trustworthy person will never trade their integrity for a title, but instead, by their integrity, by their fighting for another person, will choose to build a bridge and defend another person, even when it could potentially cost them something. Then lastly, a, a trustworthy person will believe the best. A trustworthy person will believe the best. Uh, Barnabas we see with Paul believing the best in Acts chapter nine. And then Barnabas and Paul grow close together and sometime later, after they'd went on one missionary journey together, they're about to go on another one. 
and they have a little bit of a fight with one another about an individual by the name of Mark and as whether they should take him on a missionary journey with them or not. And Acts chapter 15 says this, Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, also along, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along, who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Now, we don't necessarily see here who was in the right and who was in the wrong. What we do know is there was a disagreement with Barnabas and Paul as to whether Mark was loyal to them. And Barnabas did what Barnabas always does. He chose to believe in Mark, even, even when, even when Paul was like, I, I don't know about that guy anymore. Now, it's funny, years later in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul writes that Mark was, was helpful for him. So we do see that in Barnabas believing the best in Mark, he ended up restoring Mark. And a trustworthy person will enter into a relationship, will embrace a friendship, and say, I am going to believe the best, even, even when I maybe shouldn't. You see, I, I've noticed that a lot of the times what we like to do is we like to enter relationships not believing the best, but with suspicion. With suspicion. Keeping all of our guards up. What could they do? Uh, we're, we're trying to get to know, I have some suspicion. What are their weaknesses? When, when we enter a relationship with suspicion, what we're actually looking to do is most likely gossip about a person. We're looking for a way to put a person down so we can build ourselves up. We're looking for a way to cut ourselves. And some of you say, oh, I don't go into relationships with suspicion. I have discernment. And I have wisdom. I am a wise person. And I am a discerning person. I am not suspicious. I am a wise and discerning individual. And I am looking out for others. Now, you might be wise and discerning. But please don't say that you're wise and discerning when you're really being suspicious. Don't, use, don't, don't hide behind wisdom and discernment just so that you can be suspicious. Because suspicion is looking to cut others down. Wisdom and discernment is looking to see, hey, what are some strengths? What are some weaknesses? And how can I walk through life with this person and really get to know this person and help them out? Wisdom and discernment are good things, and we all should seek to have those things. But don't say that you're being wise and discerning when you're really just being suspicious. Suspicion is a gateway drug to what? Suspicion is the gateway to gossip. You want to write that down. Suspicion is the gateway to gossip. When you enter a relationship with suspicion, hmm, I wonder what it is about this person that they're not telling everybody. I wonder what they got in the closet. I wonder, huh, huh, yeah, yeah. A suspicion is the gateway to gossip. Believing the best is the track to trust. A little alliteration. But it's okay. So uh, suspicion is the gateway to gossip. Believing the best is the track to trust. When we, when we enter relationships say, I'm going to believe the best. I'm going to fight for this person. I'm going to walk through life with this person, through the bumps and the bruises and the ups and downs, through the wisdom and discernment that God has given me, I can see the potential that he has placed inside of them. So I'm going to believe the best and live life with them and fight for them. Here's something cool. When you, when you choose, when you choose to believe the best in someone, you are in essence making a declaration that you also believe in God. When you choose to believe the best in someone, you are in essence making a decision to say, I am believing in God. Because when you believe the best in someone, you will invest in them in such a unique and powerful way that you will be investing in them as if God has placed you in their life for a plan and a purpose. When you believe the best, you are playing out what it means to believe in God because you are saying, I am going to invest in them as if God has placed me in their life. 
a trustworthy person will choose to believe the best. That doesn't mean that you don't call people out when there's a difficulty. You just have that difficult conversation. You say, I know that you're better than this. Let's get to that place together. You see, trustworthy people trust others. Trustworthy people trust others. Trustworthy people don't just wait around and say, hey, everybody should come trust me. But a trustworthy person, Barnabas extended trust to Paul. And you know what else? All of these characteristics that we talked about of a trustworthy person, we see this in Jesus. Jesus caught criticism for the people that he associated with all the time, all the time. And Jesus is the beacon. Jesus is the ultimate. Jesus is fully God, fully man. He is the a full example of what it means to be trustworthy. Jesus caught criticism. Hey, who are you, Jesus, hanging out with sinners and tax collectors? Luke chapter seven says that people looked at Jesus and called him a glutton and a drunkard because of who he hung out with. Jesus was willing to catch criticism for the sake of his association with others. Jesus is willing to catch criticism for his association with you. I love sometimes you say, I don't know if I should associate with those people. Jesus would. Jesus would. This is one of the greatest blessings of becoming a church planter, to be honest with you, because I can just associate with whoever I want to now. I don't have to worry about, Scott, you really shouldn't be around those people. No, Jesus would do it. Doesn't mean that I have to do what they're doing. But if Christ would go into that space, then we should be willing to go into any space, to any space and catch some criticism for the sake of another person. If that's the example of Christ, that's what we should be willing to walk in as well. And once again, I know I just used myself as an example a second ago, but just to be clear, I'm not always great at this either, but it's what we're called to do. When I'm speaking up here, I'm calling all of us into this. I'm not saying, hey, I have it all figured out. I'm the perfect one. You guys follow me. No, we are following Jesus together. We're stumbling after Jesus together. We're finding this out together. And we have to be willing to say, I'm going to catch some criticism for someone else because that's what Christ did for us. And then also to, to, build, a, to, to, to uh, build a bridge. That's what Christ did. Christ built a bridge between humanity and God. And when the enemy looks at you and says that you're nothing, when the enemy looks at you and says that you are worthless, Christ looks at him and says, no, he's mine. She's mine. I'm building that bridge. And he believes the best. Christ will draw close and he, and he believes that he sees the purpose and the potential that he's placed inside of you and he wants to bring you into that. And as being the beacon of the one who is trustworthy, he has trusted you. He has trusted you as his child. He has trusted you as his ambassador. He has trusted you with his mission. He has trusted you with a purpose. He has trusted you with a plan. He has trusted you to carry out the mission of what he has to happen in the world. He has trusted you with a new story to write a new story. And so if Christ is the beacon of what it means to be trustworthy, can trust us, how much more should we be trusting others? And then lastly, I know some people might be thinking a few different objections. And one of the ones I thought with that I wanted to close with was this. I know some of you might be thinking, hey, I've tried the trust thing. It really just, it doesn't work. You know what? Here's what I'll do. I will, I will try to love people because Jesus loved people. And you know, I'll try to love people like Jesus did, but trust? Ah, I don't know about that. You cannot fully love and not trust. You know the passage that everyone likes to read at weddings, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starts at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, look at this. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, 
It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. When you decide not to trust, you are coming up short on the capacity that God has given you to love. When you choose not to trust, you are making a decision to say, I am not going to fully love the way that I have been wired to love others. Trust is a key element of love. To say, I'm going to catch some criticism for someone else. To build a bridge even in the face of opposition. And to believe the best and invest in someone or invest in people as God has called us to do. It's not always easy. It can be hurtful. It can be painful. But we have to trust God to pick up the broken pieces of our heart and bring the healing and restoration that only he can bring. And he's going to say to you, get back in the ring. Go back out there. Because trustworthy people will trust others. And as Christ has trusted us with his mission, we have to go out into the world and bring a message of trust.